600ESPNElPaso.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Sports Talk. Here we go on this Wednesday edition of the program. You just heard that the voting is continuing today with the 7-10 and the 2 versus 15 matchups. Along with Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz coming your way from your 600 ESPN El Paso Lubingo Studios here. Uh, and uh, again, for Adrian, the Lubingo Studios are in the K. ROD 600 ESPN El Paso control room and uh, I am uh, originating uh, from my home here uh, in El Paso on the west side of town now um, as you know uh, Lubingo is still working because they are essential to the community during this time and they appreciate all of your support as well they're open Monday through Saturday 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. to help keep you and your vehicle safe and ready for the road ahead 12 locations in El Paso and again Next time you visit a Lubingo and you can even stay in your car while they work on your vehicles, tell them you appreciate uh, them uh, being there for you uh, here right now. Uh, again, you want to follow Lubingo on Twitter, you can do so at Lubingo Auto Care on Twitter. We've got a busy show lined up for you today, and uh, here is the lineup. So coming up at 420, it will be Jay Jaffe. He's going to talk a little baseball. He's got an interesting story regarding the season that we're going to break down. He's also going to talk a little bit about the life of Jimmy Wynn, who had passed away just a few days back, one of the great players of the 60s and 70s. So Jay Jaffe at 420, and then he'll give us a beer recommendation to wash it all down with. At 430, Ryan Swanson is going to join us, and Ryan has a, a book out that is regarding a subject that, I'll be honest with you, I would never in a million years think would be a a sports topic. However, the book entitled The Strenuous Life, Theodore Roosevelt and the Making of an American Athlete. So Ryan Swanson is going to join us to talk about um, President Roosevelt at the turn of the century and the impact he had on athletes. This book came out last August, folks, so it's still uh, relatively uh, new. You can get it in hardcover, Kindle, audiobook. Ryan Swanson is going to join us uh, coming up. Um, at 4.30, but this is an excellent read, especially if you're a history buff and you really are digging, uh, you know, stories about uh, what some of our, uh, our, you know, our, our older presidents, the effect that they had on the sports world. And here you've got uh, Teddy Roosevelt. So we'll get Ryan Swanson joining us coming up at the bottom of this hour. And then at five o'clock today, Billy Gillespie. That's right. Billy Gillespie, who is the focus of not just the Don Haskins hour today, but also the new uh, head coach at Tarleton State. So he's going to join us in about an hour to talk uh, about his return to Division One coaching and his appearance on the Haskins show and his relationship that he had with Coach Haskins while at UTEP and then uh, eventually Texas A&M. So we'll get to that conversation coming up at the top of the five o'clock hour. And then we'll go to Jeff Erickson and he's going to join us to give us uh, his thoughts on everything going on since our last uh, our conversation last week with the fantasy world and that'll be a little bit later in our five o'clock hour so 
A lot of guests, a lot of fun. Um, should be a good time. Let's jump right to the polls and see how they're tracking. And again, I want to thank all of you for taking the time to vote. This is terrific. And you know what? Uh, honestly, the uh, the polls would not be anywhere without your votes. So right off the bat, let me thank you for getting in on these votes. I mentioned two versus 15s. Here we go. Antoine Gillespie against Jeremy Williams. Right now, Antoine Gillespie, uh, nearly 60 votes in, has 86% of the votes in that two versus 15. Stefan Jackson and Carl Davis, another two versus 15, as you would expect. Uh, DJ dominating 95% of the votes. Carl Davis just 5%. we got about 16 hours left to go. Randy Culpepper and Omega Harris. I know some of you believe that Omega deserved better than a 15 seed. Uh, no matter where you put them, it would be difficult. Culpepper, 96% of the votes. And Randy could be one of the uh, favorites to be into the final four because he's such a popular player with so many people. Brandon Wolfram against Scott English. English played in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. Brandon Wolfram, uh, dominating as expected that vote as well getting 87 percent of the vote now let's go to the 710 matchups vince hunter and roshan amy vince the seven seed roshan amy the 10 seed currently hunter 77 percent of the vote roshan amy 23 percent of the vote another good 710 matchup John Tofi and Johnny Smooth Melvin. You know what's fun about this one, Adrian? Melvin played from 90 to 93, Tofi 02 to 06. So they're almost like a decade apart, and they both had very nice careers at UTEP. Yeah, and, and they're kind of neck and neck right now in the voting. That's what's really interesting for me, but you're right. A decade removed and very close uh, in the voting right here with our fans and our listeners. 61 votes are currently in. Smooth has 57% of the vote. Tofi's 43% of the vote. But you're right. One of the closer races we will be tracking, Melvin and Tofi in that 7-10 matchup. 57-43, Melvin right now with the advantage. Another um, you know round that I thought would be close because they played as teammates for a similar period of time, Quinton Gates and Kent Lamachine Lockhart. Now, Lockhart played from 81 to 85, Gates from 83 to 87. Gates checked in as the 7 seed. Lockhart checked in as the 10 seed. And uh, currently right now, as far as the voting goes, we've got Gates dominating Lockhart. I did not expect this. I thought that this would be very close, just like the Melvin Tofi uh, game. But no, Gates right now has 71% of the vote. Lockhart just 29% through 62 votes. I, I doubt, even if, even if Kent Lamachine Lockhart gets a surge like I would expect, I don't know if it's going to be enough to, to overtake him since Gates has already 70%. That was not something that I expected. Yeah, I think this is the biggest shocker of this entire uh, voting process today. In fact, I even had Kent Lockhart as my biggest sleeper in my column earlier today. Uh, I was thinking that Lockhart, everybody would just uh, grasp onto Lockhart and think that, man, you know, if he could take on BYU, I'm definitely, he's my ride or die. But that's not the case. It looks like Gates is going to run away with it, Steve. 
I'm with you on that one. I really thought that uh, we would see a, you know, a much, much closer battle, but it hasn't been the case. And if you're looking for an upset, how about this? The 10-7 matchup, Mike Schweitzer was the seventh seed, played from 67 to 70, and then opposed by Chris Sandel, who played from 86 to 88, a little more recent, 20 years later, and Sandel, 77% of the vote. So it looks like Sandel will move on as a 10 seed over Schweitzer. So really, the, the Melvin Tofi matchup, I think, is the most intriguing here this afternoon. That could change if Tofi uh, gets some more support since he's down right now by 16% through 62 votes. And I'm also interested to see if Lockhart gets a, uh, a surge. And again, think of it this way, okay? I remember Kent Lockhart. And, and I actually, I was going back and, and looking through a, an old autograph book, which had pages of, of signatures, including Ken Lockhart's signature as he signed it, La Machine, because that was his nickname back in those days. Um, and I really thought that, you know, Lockhart would get the, would get the, uh, the love, especially since Q was the same time period. But I always thought that Lockhart was more of a popular player, but maybe not. Maybe Gates is more of the popular player, and he's getting a, a much larger chunk of the votes, Adrian, as we as we check it out right now. Yeah, I'm still very surprised about this one right here. I just thought that Lockhart would get a lot of people's uh, attention in this voting process, especially because throughout this time doing the Don Haskins show and kind of remembering all Texas Western and UTEP players, we've heard his name mentioned by listeners and people who've been tuning in with us. So I'm surprised that he's not getting more of the votes right now. I'm with you on that one. So once again, you can go to our Twitter handle, 600 ESPN El Paso, and cast your votes. If you want to cast a non-Twitter vote and you want to call in and give a, um, you know, a, a phone vote to Adrian or do it on the free uh, app chat, which you can download if you haven't done it already, then when you open up the app, you can chat with us and send that vote in. We can always take write-ins uh, or call-ins during the course of this show and add them to the final totals if you're interested in doing that. The telephone number is 880 880- 5763. The uh, app is so easy to uh, to download. And once you do it, powered by uh, United Bank of uh, El Paso del Norte, you'll have the opportunity to then um, weigh in and, and give us a, a, a potential write-in if uh, you would like to, to vote for players or vote for individuals in these matchups. Now, we're not taking names that are not in the bracket. So you'd have to be somebody in the 710 or 215 because the 116 and 89s closed yesterday. Congratulations to those who advanced into the round of 32. And uh, we will be making our way by Friday through the round of 32 and then resuming things on Monday as we get ready for the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, and eventually the Final Four, and our champion here of, of UTEP uh, minor basketball. It's, it's fun to watch. By the way, more uh, response coming in. David Martinez, and no Francis Azenwa, says David. He's like, come on, you got to give me a Zenwa. Well, we didn't give you a Zenwa on this one. Zutsu Chuko, too many NIT players making this 64 tourney. LOL. Bohannon is CBI at least. Anyway, Mark McCall and Henry Hall off the 64 definitely need a new seating. Now, I looked at these names, and, and again, the, the fun part is this. Zutsu Chuko and I are the same age. We grew up in the exact same era. I loved Mark McCall. Mark McCall could jump out of the building. But Mark McCall 
Never averaged, you know, his, his career average was under 10 a game. He averaged seven and a half a game. The dunks were amazing. He played for the Hall of Fame, uh, for the Hall of, he played for the, uh, for the Globetrotters. But as popular as he was coming from El Paso, and I, I didn't want to make this the 64 most popular UTEP players because uh, ultimately that would leave some out that had great numbers. So we based this on stats. We really did. When we, when we started crunching it down, that's how we measured it, production as opposed to popularity. Because there's a lot of guys that are popular that aren't on this list. There's no doubt about that. So that was good. Henry Hall had two really good years at UTEP, and then uh, he was done. That was it. His his college basketball career was over after his sophomore season, which was a real shame because he had such a promising freshman sophomore campaign. There was no doubt about that. All right, fourteen past the hour, eight eight zero. Five seven six three. That our telephone number as we get going on the program today. So looking forward to it. A lot of calls, a lot of guests to get to. I heard the Clowney story during Sports Center. Also, um, I thought the uh, the story on uh, Shin Su Chu donating nearly two hundred thousand dollars for Rangers minor leaguers was a class move, and it's great to see those guys have been uh, giving out of their own pocket to the minor leaguers. And speaking of baseball, Jay Jaffe's next. He's going to join us right after this timeout in Charlie One with our first traffic update on six hundred ESPN El Paso. 600 ESPN El Paso.com. 18 past the hour. Sports talk continues. We've got a busy show today and a lot to get to. So let's jump right to our Village Inn hotline and say hello right now to Jay Jaffe, who talks baseball and beer with us at fangraphs.com. In fact, Jay put up a great uh, tribute to the toy cannon, Jimmy Wynn, who uh, we lost recently, and that story is up at, at fangraphs.com. And a lot of uh, people that really like Jimmy Wynn because you talk about um, an underrated career. You know, you might not be a Hall of Famer, but when you look at his body of work over 15 seasons, Jay, he had a, he had a lot of home runs. He stole bases. He was good defensively. He was just a nice, nice center fielder that did some really good things. Yeah, he had a he had a, a really impressive career, and he you know he put up some some uh, uh, some big numbers at a time when uh, when scoring was relatively low, and you know playing in the Astrodome, uh, one of the most uh, offense suppressing. Uh, uh, ballparks of all time. So, you know, when the, the the stuff he was doing there really went a long way, and it takes uh, you know it takes the uh, the the stat heads, uh, the sabermetricians, to uh, to kind of show you just uh, uh, what the equal footing looked like when you you know after you adjust for for all the uh, uh, the things that he was up against. As you started to study his body of work and really analyze, you know, his career. Who would you say that it paralleled most when you kind of look at the the total uh, wins above replacement and and kind of maybe his peak years? Was there was there a player in particular that kind of came to mind for you? Well, the one his Astros teammate Joe Morgan, uh, the two were very comparable players uh, while while they were teammates in Houston, running from about uh, sixty three to, uh, to to seventy to seventy two. Uh, but then Joe Morgan got, or 63 to 71, but then Morgan got traded away uh, to the Reds in a blockbuster deal that did not go the Astros' way. Uh, and, you know, he went on to play into his 40s and, and had even bigger years in Cincinnati. Um, 
you know, won, uh, won, won MVP award, won a couple championships, uh, and really you know, turned himself into uh, uh, or evolved into the, being the best modern-day second baseman in, in baseball history. Wynn uh, you know, had a couple good seasons after being traded from the Astros to the Dodgers, but uh, uh, fell off pretty quickly after that due to uh, some uh, elbow and shoulder problems and just didn't have uh, the longevity of Morgan, of, of Morgan. But for a time, they were very comparable ballplayers, uh, small guys uh, uh, who, who hit big. I'll tell you what, it looks to me like he had peak seasons, that if you take those six or seven peak years, you could put him up there with a lot of guys in the Hall of Fame. But we see that so often, Jay, when there's, there's certain players that, that dominate and, and really are at the top of their game for a period of time. But with the Hall of Fame, it's all about longevity, isn't it? Well, you know, I mean, my my system, my jaw system, uh, in which I, I take uh, you know an, a measure of uh, uh, both a player's uh, career wins above replacement and his seven-year peak, uh, is designed to try to uh, to, to mitigate that somewhat, um, because I don't think longevity should be the only factor when it comes to uh, uh, choosing and choosing who's in the Hall of Fame. And you know, we've already got. Uh, a lot of short career guys in there who who had uh, high peaks like the Sandy Koufax, Dizzy Dean, Hank Greenberg, Ralph Kiner. Um, I built my system to try to account for those guys. And when when is kind of in in that in that class? I mean, his seven year peak almost uh, almost measures up to uh, to that of the average Hall of Fame center fielder. You're off by about a couple runs per year over the course of seven years. Um, you know, it's basically a rounding error, but. Uh, um, you know, it's it's tough for a player who fades out in his in his early 30s or mid 30s to to really put up those those big numbers. But uh, uh, I think he's got something of a case. Now you've got a story coming up uh, tomorrow that's going to be a, a real interesting one that probably a lot of baseball fans are wondering. Everybody's kind of talking about the season and what's going to happen and when they're going to resume. And it seems like even though nothing is in concrete, there is an idea floating around out there that could involve uh, Los Angeles and a shortened season that would make a lot of sense if if baseball is able to hit the target start date and, and get them all in before. Before, uh, before you know, it's it's too late. Yeah, there was um, uh, a Chicago radio host uh, named Matt Spiegel, who I've done uh, some spots with. You know, I'm sorry to break it to you, Steve. You're not the only radio personality that I that I talk baseball with uh, over the course of over the course of my my, my weeks. But uh, um, he uh, was quoting uh, somebody who who uh, deals with several MLB executives and and. Uh, uh, saying that the MLB is discussing the possibility of a 100-game season that would start on July 1st, uh, eliminate the All-Star Game, which is currently scheduled for July 14th at Dodger Stadium, uh, and eventually pick up uh, the, the post-All-Star Game schedule, run through October 15th, uh, and then uh, you'd have the postseason, uh, including a neutral site uh, warm-weather World Series uh, to be held at Dodger Stadium with the possibility of adding uh, a second California ballpark if if the Dodgers are actually in the World Series. So um, they would have the home field advantage at home, obviously, and then the AL team would uh, uh, would have the home field advantage at, say, San Diego or Anaheim or something like that. Give me your take on at least the idea and the concept. I mean, that, look, it's, it's, you know, you know I, I think right now this represents something pretty close to a best-case scenario given uh, the various... Um, you know restrictions and guidelines and bans that are in place. Uh, you know you'd you'd have to I think start spring training up uh, by early June. Uh, you would have to get uh, the green light uh, 
as far as travel between the U.S. and Canada. Um, you'd have to have the sign-off of, of, of uh, um, you know, the Center, Center for Disease Control or, or other, you know, major uh, bodies that deal with public health. Um, you know, but I think there, what, what we're seeing here uh, is, I think, a reflection of, of the agreement that got hammered out last week between the, uh, the league and the union. Um, you know, now that they've settled the issues with regards to salaries and service time, you know, that there, that there is uh, a willingness to be flexible about this that includes, you know, neutral site playoffs, perhaps a, a different, you know, a, a different format, um, you know, uh, and, and games extending uh, later into the off season than normal. Obviously, uh, that could become an issue with, uh, with regards to, uh, to next season, but, you know, um, I think that's a bridge that will be crossed when they get to it. Um, I think it it, it 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 smells like a credible proposal. It uh, you know we're talking though about a single source report. Uh, none of the uh, usual outlets have uh, have confirmed uh, that this is uh, um, you know something that that that's a reality. And and at this point, you know we're we're spitballing here. We're hoping uh, that this is possible. And and. Uh, um, you know the the uh, the reality on the ground with regards to the public health situation may not make it so. Now, what I find interesting is essentially uh, no All Star game, which you expected wouldn't happen. They can't, but uh, and then giving uh, and awarding Dodger Stadium uh, as a neutral side World Series if the Dodgers are not playing. Obviously, if they are playing, you have to have a, a road game somewhere else, and then maybe uh, you know neighboring Anaheim or San Diego, so that way you keep the warmer climates in place. I mean, uh, Jay, on the surface, I like it. I almost would say that if they could pull this off. That that would clearly be considered a best case scenario at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, but I think even if you if you start with this framework in place and you have to go to an eighty game season, I think you know, there's I'm I'm sure that there's still an appetite for this. Um, the players want to play. Um, you know, I think that the players want to play. I think that they want to do you know something to help people get through this this crisis they want to you know get out there and and earn their money you know as well and and knowing that uh, um you know they they have a chance to to fill the breach uh you know at a time when you know people are so focused on you know the grim realities of 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 their own situations and uh and all that that, uh, that this is an opportunity for baseball to kind of um you know recapture the national attention perhaps in ways that uh uh you know, it is it has sometimes struggled to do in years past. I'm also really interested to see eventually how the ripple effects take place with minor league baseball, especially uh, you know here in El Paso, sure. the AAA city. You, they normally play 140 games. Jay, you wonder if that maybe gets reduced down to 70 if they extend uh, the the season into September, which is normally the time mm-hmm. when rosters will expand. I mean, that's also going to be kind of an interesting thing to play with because if you start minor league baseball in July, even if you go for two months and you play some double headers. It seems like almost as if a 60-game season would be a little more realistic. Yeah, I, you know, I think that I think that obviously that will fall into place that uh, you know once that there's uh, uh, once there's a major league plan in. But you know, you need the farm systems. You know, you need to supply the you know the the reserve players. You you know these teams they don't want it to be an entirely lost year for player development. I, I certainly think you could you could uh, uh, continue minor league baseball. Uh, you know, well into September, in 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 uh, in, in some places at least, um, you know, without without too much cost, um, you know, additional cost. Uh, you know, I think you know we look. They have they have uh, 
uh, minor leagues that uh, have almost no audience, uh, you know, to to them, uh, the complex leagues and and uh, the Arizona Fall League and things like that. Um, you know, it's all it's it's all about the player development. Uh, you know, as much as it is uh, about uh, uh, creating entertainment for, for for fans in smaller towns, and and uh, uh, so I can easily see, um, you know, something like you know some modified plan, like you said, sixty game season with a lot of double headers or whatever games into September taking hold as well. No doubt. Follow Jay on Twitter at Jay underscore Jaffe. Check out his work at Fangraphs.com. How about uh, wrapping it up with a, a beer pick of the week? What have you been drinking recently, Jay, since you've got more time at home than normal? Well, um, yeah, I've been, you know, I've been uh, really exploring the, um, uh, the various craft breweries that will deliver. Um, my, my, my favorite, Threes Brewing, is now delivering, uh, uh, at least throughout Brooklyn, uh, similar to the corporate, the one-man corporate plan they had me on, they've now got a system in place where everybody can do it. Um, I, I actually just got a shipment today. Um, I've also, I, I've, I've also, uh, there's a there's a new brewery in Lower Manhattan or Midtown Manhattan called Torch and Crown, uh, which has a great IPA called Almost Famous. Uh, hazy IPA that I tried last week. They're 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 geared up to do delivery. In fact, they were kind of built to do delivery uh, of this type. So they're uh, hopefully doing pretty well through all this. But uh, um, you know, I, I, I obviously those beers aren't going to find their way to El Paso anytime soon. But I would say, you know, if you if you guys have uh, uh, craft brewing in town and and uh, delivery services, patronize those places so that uh, um, so that they can help weather this crisis as well and. Uh, um, you know, get some get some good beer uh, uh, through no contact delivery and uh, uh, hunker down and and uh, you know help out the uh, uh, the companies that need it as well. Great job, Drake. Uh, great message. I appreciate the time. And hey, let's do it again next week. Thanks so much. All right, sounds good, Steve. Take care. You too, Jay Jaffe. Be safe. Fangraphs dot com as we continue. Six hundred ESPN El Paso dot com. Uh, as promised, author Ryan Swanson joining us. His new book, The Strenuous Life, Theodore Roosevelt and the Making of the American Athlete, came out last August, and we get a chance to talk to Professor Swanson. I, I saw your bio. You're at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque, so you're not that far away from us. Hope that uh, you are staying safe given the circumstances in New Mexico. But, hey, we appreciate the time, Ryan, and having you joining us here in El Paso. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Uh, you know, in the big wide west, we're practically neighbors between El Paso and Albuquerque, so it's good to chat with you. You as well. Trust me, a lot of UTEP New Mexico uh, rivals over the years in sports, and you're <laughs> right about that. Um, yeah. Tell me, you know, you're an associate professor in the Honors College at the University of New Mexico. You're also part of the Lobo Scholars Program. How did you go back in time over 100 years and start thinking about Teddy Roosevelt and his impact uh, in the sports world? That's yeah, a fair question. Um, you know, a couple of things. Uh, I've, I've written quite a bit about sports over the years, both in terms of history and, you know, more recent kinds of issues. Um, and, my, you know, on a personal level, uh, I was an athlete of, of middling uh, ability a long time ago, and I've got kids involved in youth sports and all that, all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, as I, as I looked into those things, I really became interested in the question of how we got this way in terms of sports. Um, and of course, this sets aside the reality we're in now. But you know, how do we get to the place where we combine education and sports, and things like the Super Bowl are such a big deal, and the World Series? Um, and so it was kind of that was the core question: How do we get this way? Um, and so with that kind of rattling around for a number of years, um, I started to zero in on this period at the beginning of the 20th century, and I began to find that Theodore Roosevelt played a kind of outsized role 
in the in the kind of crucial period. And so that's that's how I got to 120 years ago uh, talking about Teddy Roosevelt and sports. Was it tough researching knowing that nobody from that time is around to really give you any kind of interview these days? Yeah, I mean, well, I'm a historian, so I'm used to dealing with uh, dead people's stories, uh, you know. So uh, one thing about Theodore Roosevelt is he wrote 150,000 letters during his life. So he, in some ways, dealing with him, it's just like this mass of information. He wrote 30 books and all these letters. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I relied a lot on newspapers, a lot on letters, uh, diaries, uh, records from these, you know, uh, the American League and the National League and the beginning of kind of interscholastic sports organization. So it's a unique challenge, but um, as a historian, you know, I have to confess I'm probably more comfortable with dealing with, you know, a dead person's story than I am uh, dealing with, uh, you know, somebody who I'd interview today. So um, I, I suppose I was well-suited for the task. Ryan, I think what impresses me most is when I think about Theodore Roosevelt, um, sports is not something that would normally come to mind. And when you get a chance to read the book, you realize just how obsessed he was with athletics. He played it. He had a lot of guests to the to the White House. And, and as he became president, you could tell that he wanted to make uh, sports uh, a big signature for him. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, Roosevelt's known for a lot of things because he has so many interests. And so you're right. Uh, a lot of books have been written about him that don't uh, put sports at the center of the equation, and that's entirely fitting. But um, if you start to look at his story, you see that he is the president who has the most to say about sports over the course of his tenure, um, you know, including presidents before and after him. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, but I think the, the first one is, as a child himself, uh, Theodore Roosevelt has really terrible asthma. And he had to live kind of like we're living today, you know, kind of staying at home. He wasn't allowed to go and, you know, be uh, attend school. He wasn't allowed to be outside very much. Um, and so he has that as his early growing up period. And then as he gets to his teen years and on to Harvard, sports become this outlet for him to try to kind of catch up with everybody else physically. Um, and then by the time he gets to the White House, he sees sports as really a cure for the kind of problems that are coming with the modern world. And he sees that both for himself and for his children, um, who are, uh, you know, at a, a relatively young age when he's president. So, yeah, sports is really important to him. Author uh, Ryan Swanson, the name of the book, The Strenuous Life, Theodore Roosevelt and the Making of the American Athlete, uh, joins us here on Sports Talk. If you had to pick one sport that you would say President Roosevelt had the biggest influence on, uh, which would that be? It'd be football. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt loved football. It was his favorite sport to watch. Um, he never played much of it himself, you know, because, again, he was always kind of playing catch-up during his teens and 20s uh, in terms of catching up physically to everyone else. But he loves football. Um, and when he's president, he gets involved with the game of football in a couple of ways. Uh, one of the first things he does when he assumes the presidency after the assassination of William McKinley is he takes his whole family and his whole cabinet, basically, to the Army-Navy football game establishing that tradition of a president going to a game and kind of playing a ceremonial role. Um, and then as, the, as his years in the White House go along, there's a crisis in the game of football in 1905. Um, during the 1905 season, 20 players die on the gridiron. And Roosevelt gets involved in kind of reforming the game. Um, I'm careful to say he doesn't save football. Uh, a lot of people are involved. But what he does do is he brings together the leaders of the major uh, football schools at that time to the White House, and he basically tells them, number one, I love the game and I think it produces great Americans, but if you don't uh, kind of round some of the rough edges off, it's going to be abolished. And so he gets involved that way. 
Um, and, and, you know, part of it, too, at that time, his own son, Ted Jr., is playing football at Harvard while he's president. And Harvard at that time is a, is a major football school, you know. So basically it would be like having a president today who had a kid playing at Texas or Oklahoma or Alabama or something like that. So um, football is the one that he probably makes the biggest impact upon. As far as college football goes, was Ivy League uh, football really where it all started at that level? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Ivy League's where it's at. I mean, Yale, Princeton, and Harvard are kind of the major powers in the turn of the century period. And and given that they're the most kind of influential universities, the richest universities, the most prestigious universities, that really gives football a, a pretty solid foundation to start upon. It's interesting, too, because uh, baseball's first ever World Series took place uh, while he was in office. And uh, I know baseball wasn't tops on his list, but I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's thrown out the he threw out the first pitch at some baseball games like so many uh, presidents did after him and and kind of took that role as well for the American uh, the American pasta. Yeah, well, you're right. Uh, You're you're right. Uh, In terms of the first World Series happens in 1903. Um, but you're also right. Roosevelt doesn't love baseball. It's actually the one sport that he kind of shuns during his White House years. So it's actually his successor, um, William Howard Taft, who starts the throughout the first pitch um, tradition. Although you could argue that Roosevelt had established, you know, going to these football games. So the idea was there, but Roosevelt kind of hates baseball. And so it's actually Taft who, who, who takes that tradition and puts it in place. Now, his presidency ended in 1909. He, he, uh, he dies about 10 years later. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, he was still young when he, when he mm-hmm. passed away. After he left the presidency and left the Oval Office, how big was Theodore Roosevelt's uh, continual role in the sports world? He, you know, he, so he leaves the White House as an extremely popular president. He runs again, tries to win uh, as a third-party candidate in 1912. And he continues to write a lot. So he writes for um, the Outlook magazine and different uh, high-profile magazines. He continues to write about sports for the next 10 years. And so he will be often kind of brought into the conversation by the press and by experts. You know, what does Roosevelt think about this? Um, When Jack Johnson and Jim Jeffries, for example, fight in the fight of the century, Roosevelt's given a golden ticket to attend. He doesn't. um, But he's asked his opinion uh, and really says that, for the last 10 years of his life, Roosevelt will continue to be influential. And as I point out in the book, uh, Roosevelt himself will continue to work on being an athlete, even as he moves into his 50s. One of the last high-profile things he does is he goes off to a fitness camp for two weeks when he's like 58 years old. And the nation can't get enough of this story. You know, how much weight has he lost? What's he doing? How far is he running? Um, and so, yeah, he continues to be really important uh, athletically, even once he leaves the White House. As you look historically at all the presidents since then, have we ever really had anyone that has had the kind of impact in the sports world here in, in, in America like uh, President Roosevelt? Not really. I'd argue that most presidents continue on with his example. They use sports as part of their way of communicating with the nation. Certainly, there have been presidents who have been much better athletes themselves. Uh, Gerald Ford, for example, you know, was a an All-American at, at Michigan. Um, George Herbert Walker Bush was, you know, first baseman at Yale. So, so others play better. Um, but really, most of them pick up on the, uh, you know, example set by Roosevelt to kind of urge Americans to use sports to be strenuous and active um, all the way up until Trump, who's actually, I think, doing something different with sports than most presidents have. Um, but I think he, you know, Roosevelt stands out as really the one who sets the model, which we still look at. 
Was there one story in particular in the strenuous life as you were putting this project together that, that you really learned something about that you maybe didn't know as you were researching? You know, probably it was the one I kind of mentioned a bit. You know, I knew that he had his hands involved in a lot of things, you know, youth sports, high school sports, college sports, football. Um, But I think the one that really stood out to me the most was this idea of him at 58 kind of making the argument, we're still athletes our whole life. And so he submits himself to two weeks of strenuous, you know, medicine ball and boxing and sparring and lifting weights. Um, and he does these kind of races on a daily basis. And so he's going after it at 58 years old, which to me was uh, a story I hadn't heard. And I found, you know, somewhat inspiring even. Um, and so that was the part of the story I was the least familiar with. Um, I knew some of his writing up until this point. So I, I didn't surprise me when I would find that he wrote about the Olympics or that he got involved in a couple of uh, arguments, you know, with different athletic teams. Um, but it was really that kind of late life athleticism, which I found to be the most interesting. And so that's where I ended the book up because I thought it was really a, a great way to kind of sum up his athletic life. You can pick up a copy of The Strenuous Life, Theodore Roosevelt and the Making of an American Athlete uh, at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble. They've got hardcover, Kindle, MP3s. Seems like you got every possible format available uh, for this one, except for paperback, which I'm sure is going to be next, right? That's coming, yep. You know, so it, all of us are looking for content these days. So if you're looking for a good story, perhaps this this would be a good one. Good stuff. Have you already started thinking about your next project, Ryan? Or are you taking a break? I am. I'm thinking about the next one. Uh, the next thing I'm, I'm dealing with, I teach a class on the history of failure at the University of New Mexico, and I'd like to do a book along the lines of, you know, why did the Clippers suck for 50 years, and how do we deal with failure? Those kinds of questions. So I'm seeing if I can turn that into a book next. That'll be a bestseller. You realize that there's going to be a lot of fans that would like to understand the the psychology behind a team being as bad as they've been for so long. So that would be good. I like yeah. that a lot. Very nice. We'll Listen, see. We'll see. Appre- appreciate the time, Ryan. Thanks for joining us, and uh, congratulations on the uh, on the new book. Thank you. It was great to be with you. You bet. It's Professor Ryan Swanson from the University of New Mexico. Again, The Strenuous Life, Theodore Roosevelt, and the Making of the American Athlete. Sports Talk continues on 600 ESPN El Paso. 600 ESPN El Paso.com. Start of hour number two here on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody. Along with Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Don't forget the Don Haskins Hour coming up at six is going to take us back to a, a show featuring uh, our uh, next guest who uh, joins us. Not only is uh, he uh, going to be part of the August 8th. 2006 edition of the program, which also featured voice of the minors, John Teicher, but uh, he is also now the brand new head coach at Tarleton State uh, University, talking about Billy Gillespie. And coach, first off, uh, congratulations on the new job, and uh, welcome back to the program. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. I certainly do appreciate having the opportunity to be on. We talked about this last week before any of the Tarleton stuff came up, but what a great time. Really excited about the new opportunity in the WAC, and I'm really excited about talking to you today. Yeah, you didn't tell me anything about this Tarleton State, which tells me that this probably came at you pretty quick, didn't it? It did come at, 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 at us pretty quick. Uh, uh, the former coach, Chris Reisman, who, who is the, uh, the son of the uh, athletic director, who is the former basketball coach for 30 years and won 500 and, uh, 654 games in 30 years, unbelievable success. Uh, he decided last Monday or Tuesday that he, that he was going to go into administration. So I think everyone was shocked, and uh, the process moved very, very quickly. And 
we got a great president, Dr. James Hurley, and, and a very, very progressive university that's going just going off the charts right now. And, and uh, it's the hottest thing going in the country, I think. And got an opportunity to go from Division Two to Division One starting next year in the WAC. You can tell I'm pretty excited. Was it a tough decision leaving your alma mater, knowing you had a lot of success at Ranger and knowing your ties and, and going back there and, and not only running the basketball program, but then the athletic department, uh, having, you know, being there and being successful and then leaving? Yeah, it was tough. I have a great job. I have great people to work with. I have great players. I have great opportunity. It's as, uh, this place is an unbelievable job because of another El Paso native, a guy named Dr. Bill Campion, who is our president, and he loves sports, and he used to be a coach, and he used to be an official and, and everything, and so he really wanted to win, and we had a great partnership for five years, and uh, we, did, we, we were able to have a lot of success, and so I wouldn't have left just for anywhere. I've had opportunities to leave before, but this was the right time, uh, the right place at the right time, and again, this Tarleton State is, is a place that not a lot of people, you know, except around this particular area know about. But they started knowing about it a lot more yesterday, and uh, we're, we're going to let everybody in the country know about it very, very soon. Nice. Now, I, I did read that uh, for they have about, I guess it's what, four seasons you have to play without getting a chance to go to the conference tournament uh, or postseason play. But starting in the 24-25 season, you'll be eligible for all of that. So you know that as you try to build them up into an instant winner, uh, the fun part's going to be playing big teams and having a chance to do some big things. And then before you know it, it'll be time to see uh, what Tarleton can do when it comes to uh, the postseason. Hey, Steve, we've been friends for a long time, so I'll joke with you a little bit. So I could, uh, your consistency is amazing, amazes me. You've been, you've been keeping it that way since a long time before I was even in El Paso, but you got your facts wrong. And so, no, it's not going to be four years. It's, uh, it's four years now. They're going to change it to where it's a three-year provisional period. Uh, we can play in the conference tournament beginning next year, and, and that is something that, that has not been granted before. Uh, but we are going to be able to play in the WAC tournament. We can play in postseason. Uh, we just can't play in the NCAA tournament. That's the only one of the postseason tournaments that we can't play. I'm giving you a hard time, you know, because I think we're friends, and, and so I hope you don't take it the wrong way. But, no, we can play in the conference tournament. We play in any postseason, and it's going to be a three-year period instead of four. So uh, it won't make us any, <laughs> any difference. We're recruiting like crazy already. We're going to get great players, and we're going to try to do what we did at UTEP and all the other places we've been. So we're going to knock it out of the parks. Uh, you know, it's already going great. So, uh, but what you reported was what has been in the past the facts about a, a provisional team moving up to Division One. First off, you're the greatest because if I'm going to be corrected by anybody, it might as well be you. And I took it right off the WAC website. I mean, I yeah. I literally went on the WAC site and said, "Oh, okay, so at least I got my facts right." And no, it's it's. I'm just, you know what? The beautiful thing is this, Coach. You've already they've already figured out how to change the restrictions. You've got a much better situation now than I thought uh, two minutes ago before I brought that question up. So I'm I'm happy I asked it because you you basically gave. Hey, some really hey, good news. The good thing about it is, Steve, that's the way we've always operated. And so if I got something a little bit wrong or, or uh, whatever, interpret something wrong, you always let me know. And I've always been able yep. to do the same thing. We've always had a great relationship because of it. So uh, not, not, <laughs> we, we both know it doesn't mean anything. We just give each other a hard time and have a lot of fun doing it. 
By the way, um, this has been asked by a lot of people. There are a lot of minor fans that would love the opportunity to see UTEP and Tarleton State start a, a little series now that you're there. What are your thoughts about coming back to El Paso and bringing your team to play the minors? Uh, I'll put it out there right now. We'll play home and home next year uh, or the following year or and the following year and the next year after that. And we'll, we'll do it every single year. We'd love to do that. I love El Paso. Nobody loves El Paso more than me and Nobody respects the tradition of the program, and, and uh, it'd be very, very challenging games. Uh, but, you know, I would love to do that. So it's out there. And just, just relay that to Rodney, who's a great oh. friend, and, and I'm pulling the hardest for Rodney and the UTEP basketball program. And, and I just put it out there right now. It, it's a statement that I'll definitely back up. I will definitely tell Rodney. Will you start the home-and-home home here in El Paso? Is, are you up for that, too? Well, it, it would depend on what dates they have. You know, home and homes mean we play twice in one year. And so uh, that means we'll play ah. at their place and our place next year, just like conference opponents. So usually it doesn't happen because teams uh, don't really have two games available. They're already down the road and scheduling, but we'd love to do it. We're going to play some home and homes nice. against really good teams. And and uh, absolutely, uh, if we if we played two games next year, we'd come out there first, depending on how the dates work and, and uh, exactly how their schedule looks and how ours looks. But – We'd figure it out if they'll do it. I thought you meant a home-and-home in consecutive seasons where you play one one year, one the next. I like the fact you could possibly go two in one season. Even better. That works That works good. Yeah, y'all have done it for years with New Mexico State, and, and it's a fantastic situation for that rivalry. It's tough on the coaches, you know, but, but uh, it's a fantastic rivalry between you guys and New Mexico State, and, you know, they do play a home-and-home each year. So we'd love to do that, but not only with El Paso, but with other great basketball traditions. Excellent. Billy Gillespie, a new head coach at Tarleton State, uh, joining us here on our Village in the Hotline as we get started on Sports Talk. Hey, by the way, this team you had this past season, one of the uh, one of the top players uh, right here from El Paso, and I know a lot of El Pasoans were excited to see Brian and how he uh, excelled with you. He's fantastic. He's one of my, my favorite players I've ever coached, and I had a great opportunity to coach a lot of great players. And Never seen a guy like him, though. Uh, uh, unbelievable spirit every day. Came to practice. He came every, when he went to class. He had a great attitude. He had a smile on his face. He was adventurous. On days off, he would go try to climb a mountain or roller skate or do something. He just loves life. And, and uh, he's one heck of a basketball player. He hasn't decided what he's going to do yet. UTEP's shown quite a bit of interest in him. It'll be interesting to see what he ends up doing. And and uh, I'm 99 percent sure he'd be going with me. Uh, except for the NCAA restriction. I, I convinced him too good. Last year, Brian's a very good student. And so last year he had a lot of uh, great opportunities to leave after one year. He came back because he's very, very honorable. And so I said, the only thing I want you to do when you go to another school is make sure they have a great chance to play in the NCAA tournament. And I didn't know I was going to be going to a provisional school that couldn't play in it, or I would have never said that. <laughs> but no, but uh, he's got great opportunities, and he deserves them, and he'll make the most of them wherever he goes. There you go. Uh, now, let's talk about your relationship with Don Haskins. Did it start when you arrived here um, in the 02-03 season, or had you and Coach uh, known each other beforehand when you were working for Bill Self? He knew nothing of me, and I knew everything of him. And, and uh, I never had a chance to... A coach against coach uh, as an assistant coach or never had a chance to meet him or anything before I came into town on that Friday before I took the job on a Saturday. 
and and uh, we went downtown. Uh, they dropped me off at, in the afternoon when I was visiting there and, and let Coach vet me a little bit. And uh, I can't remember the place we went to, uh, but we sat at a table, and I promise it had a plaid tablecloth on it that wasn't made out of cloth. I can't I guarantee you because that's the only place coaches would ever go. Uh, but we had an unbelievable visit. And then later on that night after I was doing some more touring with Coach Stoll and his wife looking around El Paso, I got an opportunity for the first time to go riding in his truck. And, and uh, so what a great trip it was. And we hit it off immediately. And uh, he was nothing but the best with me. And I told him from the very first day, Coach, I need your help. Uh, I haven't been a head coach before, except in high school. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to need your help. And I promise I will listen. And I promise I will not talk much. And <laughs> if you'll help me, because no one loves this El Paso city and no one loves this El Paso program more than you. And I'm going to try to honor your presence every single day if I get this job. And, and uh, we hit it off immediately. And not only him, but his great wife, Mary, and his, and his children, uh, dear friends, and, and uh, it was just what an honor. I miss Coach all the time. I know how close you guys were because you kept in touch uh, after you left El Paso, and that's one of the reasons why we're going to replay this conversation from 2006 because you are our featured guest that day on the show. And I thought that not only were you uh, very close with Don Haskins, but so was one of your assistants, Doc Sadler. And when you left for A&M um, and kept in touch, uh, Doc kind of was able to continue that relationship and, and, and uh, that he had with Coach. And uh, he was also, just like you, picking the brain of, of the because, again, he probably has forgotten more basketball than uh, most of us would ever dream to know. Man, a lot of, there's a lot of people that know basketball, but none of them as much as Coach. And, uh, but that, that's only the smallest part about Coach. He knew so much about life. You know, He knew what to say uh, when things were going great. He knew what to say when things weren't going so well. He knew when to be supportive. He knew when to put his foot in your butt. I mean, because of his experience and because of his knowledge, and his unbelievable intelligence, he, he always knew what to say. And he was just always fun to be around. And he scolded me, believe me, he scolded me. One of the times he was in the hospital early uh, the first summer uh, after I had coached the first year, he said, hey, Billy, there was a, a couple of times I wanted to get over there and just pull your hair out. I didn't know what you were doing <laughs> and, and uh, stuff like that. I remember his facial expression because he was he – was, uh, he was really mad because he wanted to be out of the hospital, and I think he got out that afternoon. But, but uh, he, he taught me so much about basketball and about life. He was the best. Well, and, and I know that uh, as he was at practice, he'd watch a lot of your practices. You guys would talk X's and O's. You mentioned giving you, you know, life talks as well. Now, I will say this. We played a lot of these old shows, and it was before you took the Kentucky job. And, and he said, I've been telling Billy, don't do it. Don't take it. Don't take it. So he was on record of saying that, Coach, uh, a couple of times as we were, as we were talking about you prior to, uh, prior to you taking that job. You know what? Uh, I talked to Coach – I can't, I can't say I talked to him every day when I was in El Paso, but we talked a lot. When I went to A&M, he, I think he became an A&M fan with us a little bit, as much as he could, because his loyalty definitely was with one school, as, as shown throughout his entire career. But uh, when I went to Kentucky, I was afraid to call coach <laughs> because of some of those conversations, and I, I knew what I was going to get when I called him. And I finally broke down and called him, and I was about scared to death uh, to talk to Coach about it. But 
uh, he said exactly, you know, the right thing to say. He was very, very, very supportive. And uh, Coach didn't always have to be right. And that's another great wisdom thing to learn. But he didn't always have to be right. He didn't always have to say, I told you so. He didn't have to say, when I got fired at Kentucky, I mean, uh, he, he had passed. But uh, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't have said, hey, Billy, I told you not to go there. It wasn't your kind of spot. But it was my kind of spot. I just went at the wrong time and whatever. That's another story. But, but, but uh, Coach always knew what to say. And he knew, he knew when to be tough. He knew when to be loving. As good as anyone I've ever been around. Any one story in particular about Coach Haskins that just stands out for you amongst all the others? Uh, there's just so many of them. I mean, it's uh, I mean, just so many of them. He was awesome. Uh, I just love to see him in front of a crowd because he could entertain like nobody. I mean, he, he uh, had a great sense of timing. He knew his crowd. He knew what to say to a particular crowd. I, I mean, he just had this way, whether he was talking to one person or a thousand, to, of just, you know, not trying to be arrogant or anything else, but just demanding, commanding and demanding respect. When Coach was talking in front of a group, there was not one person looking down at his cell phone. There wasn't one person whispering something to the guy sitting next to him. They were all listening because of the respect that he had. And then uh, he was just fantastic. I, every time... If you were in the presence of Don Haskins, if you would keep your mouth shut and just your ears wide open, you'd learn something that that might transcend into something really important in your life. And I've had so many of those lessons. But one of the most proud things that Coach ever said to me is, you know, the first year I got there on November the 2nd, played a game the next week, and and, uh, we weren't that great. But the fans in El Paso were so great, we still averaged 6,700 fans a game because they liked the way we played. We played tough. We played Don Haskins basketball, even though we didn't have a great roster. But the fans of El Paso were just so good. They they supported us. And so the next – and Coach is coming to practice quite a bit. He was learning something about this new kid on the block. And so uh, the next year we go 24-8, and eight, started out with the who, – who, I mean, one of the biggest wins we ever had there was against the Globetrotters. Yep. The, the fans of El Paso showed up to watch last year's 6-24 and 24 team play the Harlem Globetrotters, 12,222, to watch an exhibition game. Think about how good the fans are. But anyway, in that year, we started having a great year. It was just one of the best years of my life. and I've been lucky enough to have five once-in-a-lifetime teams. Just very, very fortunate as a coach. But uh, after about 10 or 12 games, we had that good team going. And I said, Coach, you still you come to practice all the time. And uh, this year, you, you know, you haven't been to practice very often. And I said, why don't you come to practice? He said, Billy, I come to every game. I know what you're doing in practice by how you're playing. <laughs> what an honor for a, for a coach of his magnitude to say something to a coach. I'll never forget those words. It meant so much to me. And, and uh, again, just showing the wisdom of Don Haskins, just that's the thing. That, I mean, I miss. You know, I, I'm, my mother died in 2011. Um, I miss her. I think about her all the time. I'm, I miss every when you talk about basketball. I miss my friendship with Don Haskins. 
Well, I think uh, you could echo the sentiments that so many people have here, which is one of the reasons why we're airing these shows every night, Billy, because giving people a chance to hear his voice again and hear uh, these these shows that are almost 15 years old, we're, we're bringing them back, uh, bringing them back to life. And especially during this time and what people are dealing with, with no sports and and so many restrictions, it's it's soothing right now to hear coach's voice on a regular basis. Well, it's it's great to hear his voice at any time, and and I bet the numbers are off the charts as far as your listenership, if that's a, if that's a word, and 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 uh, <laughs> because you know sports fans aren't the only ones that miss Coach Haskins. I'll guarantee you that. It, uh, in in a city besides El Paso, and this is just my opinion, I doubt if there in the history of the world if there's ever been a city besides of El Paso where a coach made the impact that Don Haskins has made. And it wasn't because he had one good team. It was because how he carried himself for 30, 40, 50 years, however long he lived there. And uh, I, I bet so many people are listening in just to hear his voice. Before we wrap things up, a question came in on Twitter from one of our listeners, uh, Pinky, who wants to know, Wisdom Gym at Tarleton State seats 2,400. Are there any plans for a new facility or expanding the wisdom? Uh, I don't think there are any plans. I think that uh, as far as expanding the wisdom, I think that they looked into it. I think that they're hopeful that we'll start doing great things over there and, and uh, you know, I, I hope that some plans are on the horizon, but it's a great place. But Memorial Gym was a great place. My second year there, we had Midnight Madness. We had it at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, but we had Midnight Madness, and people enjoyed that gym. We've got a gym that has history like that. Uh, coach uh, Reisman, who is a former coach who won the 654 games over 30 years, he lost like 25 games in his last 15 years. It's a huge unbelievable home court advantage. That's why we wouldn't mind playing the minors at home and home every year. And now that's no disrespect. We like, again, like playing against great programs, but they have a, a big time home court advantage. The city's behind them. It's a smaller city than El Paso, but uh, those, those places like that, uh, we love them. And it's always nice to get a brand new facility, no question about it. Uh, but I love those tradition rich places like Memorial Gym and Wisdom Gymnasium. Final question. Will you be uh, getting a uh, Twitter handle? Are you going to be on social media now that you're back in coaching here at Tarleton State? I don't know if I will or not. You know, I guess that's a thing to do. Uh, I'm an old country boy right there. I don't even know how to sign up for Twitter. But, you know, and, and uh, I, I think people spend too much time on there that they could be doing something else. Like uh, the thing, if I were, if I were tweeting or if I uh, were uh, what, listening to tweet, uh, listening to uh, uh, paying attention to Twitter, I'd probably be li- missing out on a recruit and recruit and developing uh, relationships with people in the town to create more excitement and support. Those are the most important things to me. We'll do a ton of things in social media with, uh, as far as uh, communicating with recruits because that's the way they like to communicate these days. And so we'll definitely be active. But as far as uh, whatever, at Billy G or something like that, I don't know if we'll be doing that or not. Maybe right. don't. Well, listen, half the time now people are recruiting on social media as much as they are anything else. So Yeah, we'll definitely do that. Uh, but I don't know if it'll be a personal situation, but Tarleton State will be very, 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 very active in the social media situation. 
Sounds great. Listen, congratulations again on the job. Um, enjoy the next hour. If you get a chance, listen. You'll probably get emotional hearing Coach's voice with you, but it's good stuff. You'll love it. And, uh, again, we appreciate you giving us some time, and hopefully we see you back uh, with your team at the Don Haskins Center soon. Hey, Steve, I always enjoy it. We've had this great relationship for a long time, and anytime you've ever asked, uh, I've been honored to be on your show, and, and this is no different. And So thank you for having me on and, and appreciate all the support of El Pasoans. I, I know one loves that city more than me and, and uh, hopes for the best, but UTEP Miners, I've still got blood in that game. and, and, and uh, So uh, have a great day. Follow Tarleton State. We're up and coming. All right. So we will for sure. Billy, take care. Talk soon. Thank you. Head coach Billy Gillespie as we continue on Sports Talk. We'll come back. Jeff Erickson next right after Charlie won. He's got a traffic update for us. 600ESPNLPaso.com Bottom of the hour, back on Sports Talk as we continue. My apologies to our next guest, Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com. We, Jeff, we ran long with Billy Gillespie, who uh, spent the last uh, 25 minutes with us after getting the Tarleton State job, former UTEP coach. And Billy uh, has a lot of history in El Paso. And an interview that we thought would go about 15 went about uh, 10 minutes longer than that. So, hey, appreciate you hanging in there and joining us and, and getting a chance to talk some fantasy sports with us today. Hey, no problem at all. I mean, great guest. Good to get him. That's awesome. It, it was a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, he's definitely excited to be back uh, in Division One uh, for sure. Hey, meanwhile, I'm looking at the website, and there's still so much good content at RotoWire right now, not just for baseball, but for all fantasy. It's almost as if you guys are working overtime to make sure that each day there's a there's a good you know five uh, to ten new sports stories out there for all sports fans to enjoy on a fantasy level. Yeah, we're trying to keep it fresh. Uh, try to keep it relevant. I mean, the thing is, the one thing this does is, is this downtime allows us is the ability to maybe do some dives on topics that we don't have time for within the, n- the normal run-up news cycle, especially baseball right now. I mean, you know, usually we're like, you know, it's it's the first week of the season. We're scrambling for all sorts. You know, there's all these all sorts of things going on. And it's great. It's awesome. I love that chaos. But, you know, end of spring training, beginning of the season, there's all this news. Oh, my God, he didn't get the save chance? Oh, he's already been benched. He's already heard. What, who's going to feel it? You know, we don't have any of that right now. So it gives us some time. Like, I'm, I'm not, it's not up yet. I'm working on it still. But I'm trying to do a deeper dive into stolen bases. And trying to, well, trying to find stolen bases without using previous stolen bases as our barometer. I'm trying to find other indicators, if you will. Uh, and so I'm having some fun with this, and I, I'm looking forward to it. I think it should be a little bit – I think yeah, people are going to like the results. We'll see. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's sort of things like that. James Anderson is doing a lot of ranking dilemmas for his prospects. Our football guys are doing dynasty and draft talk, obviously. Uh, just and, You know, our hockey guys have some fresh content up on the site. We're really trying hard. I'll tell you something else. Um, it's interesting because speaking of baseball, I was just talking to somebody who plays in a dynasty league of ours, and, and our discussion yesterday is should we just get rid of the playoffs, which we normally had as like a five-week period, and instead just uh, award uh, you know money for the regular season champion? And because we're possibly looking at just maybe a 15-week league versus 26 weeks in a normal season with everything being condensed, and it might make sense to, to just uh, you know, get rid of the playoffs this year. I, 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 I would wholly endorse that. Um, you know, that's a better chance to have a significant sample and do it Premier League style, uh, where the, it's only the regular season that matters. Are you hearing that from other leagues around the country that, that you're in, that you've, you've drafted a lot of leagues prior to the season starting? What are they? Yeah, yeah I, you know, none of them are head-to-head, though. So, 
they're all going to be, you know, there is there are no playoffs for mine except for maybe you know my sim leagues like score sheet and things like that. I haven't figured out how we haven't had any discussion about how to change that or not. Well, I'll tell you what's really going to be interesting too, and this is something that you know we don't know how it's going to work out yet. But will basketball and hockey resume their season and have a playoff, or could the season possibly be cut short, be over, and everything just focus on baseball once everybody's back? Uh, all these things are on the table. I mean, you saw the city of Toronto, <coughs> excuse me, yesterday uh, issued an edict: uh, no public events, you know, you know, widespread, you know, gatherings until June 30th at least are banned until June 30th, but they also specifically carved out that these are for city permit events. These are not for professional sports. However, i got to think that you know professional sports teams in Toronto are going to take the lead of the city, right? You know, you know, forget about, and you know, not that you can forget about Toronto, but think about New York. I mean, you can't have a basketball season in New York right now. It's impossible. No, you can't. I can't possibly fathom that right now. No, that's that's the toughest part right now, and and really sports in general is just in a wait and see mode for the next month or two, and kind of yeah. go from there and and see how things uh, how things work out. Uh, we're yeah. with Jeff Erickson from RotoWire.com. Baseball, I brought up because there is now talk. I saw this earlier today of a season starting July first. It would go through October fifteenth, and then instead of the All Star Game being played in Los Angeles, baseball as a concession would do a non a neutral site World series played in LA and if the Dodgers made it then they would look at road games perhaps in either Anaheim or San Diego that's that's kind of what's on the table right now potentially best case as maybe a hundred game regular season with no all-star game but having the World Series in LA right um I think that's uh yeah I think that's a fine idea you know it's better than again I'll take whatever they come up with you know whether it's Give me a 60-game season. I'll take it. I accept it. You know, I'll take it. You know, it's like, give me something. Because yeah, I, I don't want to lose an entire year. Uh, I don't want to, you know, but again, if that's what we need to fight this virus and beat it is to lose for a year, well, I'll deal with that too. Uh, I hope it, I hope the heck that doesn't happen. But I will take what we're given, basically, on this one here. If you, want, you can structure it however you want. I promise not to complain too much. Yeah. There you go. Hey, Jeff, I liked uh, Jerry Donabedian's column uh, about the Dynasty Watch, Risers yeah. and Fallers. It was really good. And I think a lot of the names we all agree with. I mean, Kyler Murray will benefit in a big way off of uh, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. I think Josh Allen benefits off of Stephon Diggs. And Brady mm-hmm. going to Tampa Bay kind of makes uh, a lot of sense. It was interesting because he also had Gardner Minshew as uh, a riser in his uh, in his opinion. A lot of riser quarterbacks, as you, as you look at things yeah and you know he, he was competent as a rookie uh in Minshew. he has no competition right now now i i think the that that second factor could change but it doesn't look like they're going after cam or after andy dalton or any or, or uh you know Jameis winston or any other veteran uh so they might draft a quarterback uh, you know, might might decide that they want to take a, a second round stab at what maybe one of the second the, the second tier quarterbacks but you know, I don't know. It's it's, it's possible, uh, but uh, yeah, you know, he, he if you're in a QB flex league, that has some value. You're not going to get him in a in a one QB league, at least not until the back part of your bench. But absolutely, he's got more job security than he did in the past. 
Who are some of your favorite players in the NFL that's going to benefit from their new situation? We might have talked about it last week, but I'm just kind of going through the list right now that uh, that really uh, this article uh, was profiled from Jerry, and there's a lot of names out there. Yeah, well, I, I mean, as much as we rag on the Texans for the David Johnson trade and what they, you know, in giving up uh, Hopkins uh, to get him, Johnson steps into a better situation in a way. It's a better as a traditional running back, a better offensive line, and you got to figure the volume he's going to get is pretty is, is pretty much through the roof. So you think that that he might benefit from the new location quite a bit. Uh, wide receiver wise, you know, sometimes like these wide receivers that move, as much as like Josh Allen benefits from getting Diggs, Diggs gets gets hurt by this move. I think he's outdoors. He's on a he has a less accurate quarterback, big arm. But Diggs is a precise route runner, one of the best route runners in football, actually. And I think this hurts him a little bit. And plus, John Brown's there, and John Brown's pretty good. He's actually very good. And uh, that's, you know, it's, I, I would agree with that completely. How about uh, players that you think are, are going to be maybe uh, losers after all the things have shaken out? And we know Cam doesn't have a job right now, neither does Jameis Winston. Um, I mean, Deshaun Watson seems like he's going to lose because he, he just lost DeAndre Hopkins, which is going to be huge in itself. But who else do you think might, might suffer as a result of what just happened? Uh, maybe Curtis Samuel. You know, they, they, the Panthers signed Robbie Anderson, and then they signed Teddy Bridgewater, a guy that is not a deep throw. I think both Samuel and Anderson might be hurt a little bit by this. Uh, you know, I, not that Kyle Helen was a, a accurate deep ball thrower either, uh, but now there's three people to split those targets with among. I think D.J. Moore still gets his. I think Samuel is the guy that loses some targets. And I think Anderson, I mean, you know, he's not just Darnay Scott. He can do other things besides get a deep ball or Alvin Harper if you want to use a more uh, locally uh, appropriate reference. But, uh, you know, I, I think at the same time, you know, it, Bridgewater's not going to throw it deep. I think that takes away a weapon that Anderson had with, I think he was better off with Sam Darnold. I just saw this sent to me from one of our uh, one of my buddies. It was a newspaper from today, and it says April 1st transactions. Have you seen this yet already? No. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I Listen did. I did the uh, like the uh, the April Fools transactions. It's, I'll, 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 I'll read it. It's um, Indians signed Jake Taylor, Ricky yeah. Vaughn, Roger Dorn, Willie Mays, Hayes, Pedro Serrano, and Eddie Harris to one-year contracts. Name Lou Brown manager. Tigers starting pitcher Billy Chapel announced his retirement. The New York Knights signed outfielder Roy Hobbs. The Mets signed second baseman Chico Escuela and starting pitcher Sid Finch. The Tampa Bay Rays called up starting pitcher Ebby Calvin Lelouch yep. from AAA Durham. And then the Washington Senators signed center fielder Joe Hardy. One minor league move today, the, the uh, Visalia Rawhide uh, named uh, Lawrence Crash Davis manager. I, yeah, that's I that that's good stuff. Fantastic. I don't know where they got that from, but that's hilarious. Yeah, the the, the nuclear Lelouch one was especially good. You know, saw someone comment. He's going to announce his presence with authority. <laughs> so we talked about it earlier. Uh, Rotowire, you guys are staying busy. What are some of the things you want to profile and some of the stuff coming up here in the next few days? You know, uh, yeah, I, I keep a, our podcasts are still rolling every single day. We've got podcasts in, in multiple sports usually. Uh, we are, you know, I, I think we do five baseball podcasts a week. Uh, we, we're doing our XM shows. We're doing all sorts of con- generating as much content as we possibly can, articles, as you mentioned. Uh, and, you know, the draft's still coming up. You know, it's not that far away. 
and we're going to be all over the NFL draft, like you wouldn't believe, uh, and including how that affects best ball leagues. We've got a Mario Puig's best ball journal, which is really good, too. So check that all out, rotowire.com slash free, get you a free 10-day trial. Uh, hopefully in these times they'll give you something to uh, at least be a distraction for a while and entertain yourself. How are you holding up out there in California? Oh, I'm fine. Uh, I, I, I'm lucky, I'm blessed that I can socially isolate, uh, that I can work from home. I, I already did work from home. Uh, I'm, so far, everybody's safe and healthy. I was going to ask you, the girls doing all right since the they've been bunkered good. in uh, as My well? oldest one has now got her driver's permit, so taking advantage of the lighter-than-usual Los Angeles traffic and uh, practicing here and there. She can make fast food runs for the family. Uh, in, in six months. <laughs> she has yeah. to be accompanied now. But, uh, uh, yes, uh, and practicing our parking in malls because, you know, I think that will come in handy in the future. Sounds like a winner. Jeff, always good to hear from you. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week. You bet. Thanks, Steve. Jeff Erickson, rotowire.com. As we continue, follow him on Twitter at Jeff underscore Erickson. Final countdown as we get you ready for the Don Haskins Hour coming up. It's Sports Talk and 600 ESPN El Paso. 600 ESPN El Paso.com.